Welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy Podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host. Hello everybody! Welcome to Stand Up Tragedy. Um, Are we recording, Harv? I always should check that. Yes, good. Right. Well, Stand Up Tragedy tonight is about tragic summer. That's the general feel of the night. And it's a nice sunny day for our tragedy tonight, which is good. Uh, Because tragic spring did not feel very springy. Uh, So I'm glad that Tragic Summer at least has the sunshine with it. Right, what is stand-up tragedy? Well, stand-up tragedy is a night where people stand up on stage and they do tragedy. Uh, So it's as simple as that. We invite performers from all parts of the arts to get up and do some tragedy. So we want to make you cry until you laugh and laugh until you cry. So expect to feel lots of different emotions tonight. Not all funny, not all sad, um, and be and expect also to hear tragedy on stage, which means that there will be sad things talked about, and so that's something to be aware of. Um, I don't know what those sad things are going to be, because uh, it's a variety night. I book really good acts, but I don't know what those acts are going to do. So I don't know where we're going to go. We could go really dark, we have done in the past, um, and we could go really light all night, who knows? Uh, that's the exciting thing about doing a variety night. But that's the thing, you, you need to remember that it's going to be tragic because tonight is a safe space to talk about unsafe things. Uh, so that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, and Stand Up Tragedy, we're a live night. Uh, we're also a podcast, so you'll be able to listen to what we do on stage uh, for you know over the next few weeks. They come out every two weeks at the moment. Um, and then you can tell your friends to listen to the tragedy if you've enjoyed it. Uh, and if you haven't, then I guess don't. Uh, simple as that. Um, So yes, so we're going to have three acts of tragedy linked around the theme of tragic summers. Okay, right, welcome back to Stand Up Tragedy. This is our third and last act, Tragic Leisure. Tragic Leisure. So before I introduce the acts, I wanted to just tell you about the shows that we're going to be doing in Edinburgh that aren't stand-up tragedy. Uh, because as I said earlier on, we're producing two solo shows. So the first one is my solo show, which is called, and I still feel com- complicated about even saying its title in public, What About the Men Mansplaining Masculinity? Uh, where... Dave Pickering, that's me, uh, takes us on a personal journey through gender as he tries to explain masculinity both to you and to himself. Uh, Part true storytelling show, part TED Talk and part apology, he looks at how the patriarchy hurts men too, how the patriarchy has hurt him and how he has hurt people because of patriarchy. Drawing on an anonymous survey of a thousand men, feminist theory, internet memes and his life experience, he will explain the conclusions he has come to after 33 years of trying to make peace with being a man. So that's my show that I'm going to be doing. In fact, I'll be wearing a dress, though, uh, so I will look great. Uh, And a fedora, which goes really well with a dress, I think you'll all agree. So, yes, um, so that's the show I'm doing. If you want to check out stuff about that, you can find that at uh, www.mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. That's where I've got that survey of a thousand men's opinion about patriarchy that you can look through, use. It's an open source resources. If anyone wants to analyse the shit out of that data, please do because I know fuck all about that stuff. So yes, um, yeah, so have a look. It's really interesting what men have to say about uh, patriarchy and their experience of the world uh, and being a man. Um, There's a lot of variety, a lot of it's quite offensive and complicated, so be aware of that. But yes, um, I've found it fascinating, and I hope that you do too. 
Um, so yeah, that's that advert out of the way. The second advert is for the, se for the next act. So yes, the other show we're producing is from the host of the Spark Lon uh, London Brixton Open Mic, uh, which happens on the third Monday of the month upstairs at the Ritzy uh, in Brixton. Uh, and that is called Travels Through Class from Silver Spoon to Soho Skip and Almost Back Again. Radcliffe Royds takes us on a personal journey through class. He was born into a posh family, but the silver spoon in his mouth would eventually be used to cook heroin. From boarding school to investment banking to prison, he has passed through most of our great institutions. Finally, his addiction led to him living in a skip in Soho. From there, he has managed to get himself to where he is now, living in social housing and struggling to rebuild his life. Radcliffe offers all of this with wit, charm, and a wicked sense of humour, mixing darkly hilarious anecdotes with poignant explorations of shame, privilege, and poverty. So that's the show he's going to do in Edinburgh. That's not what he's going to do now. He's going to talk about tragic ledger in some way. I have no idea what way. Put your hands together for Radcliffe Royd! Thanks, Dave. Good evening. Um, my name is Radcliffe Royds, and I really can't lower the tone after that introduction, can I? So I think I'm on fairly safe ground. Um, we've heard some wonderful stories tonight, some great worthy causes, some dystopian visions of a dark future. And I've been asked to talk about tragic leisure. Well, to fit that in neatly, the real tragedy is I was born to be a gentleman of leisure. Um, clearly, you can tell that. I've got, still got a tailor. Um, I'm going with Moroccan dental technician chic tonight. <laughs> Is that okay? Good. So I'm going to go back to the awkward moment, and we've all been there, that awkward moment where you suddenly realise you've got to fill that awkward gap between school and retirement. Okay? I don't know if any of you are doing that. Hackney is up and coming, so I reckon there are people with jobs living here now. So I couldn't yet move here because I... I, my, job is, my job is trying to reconcile myself to the hideous nature of my own travails. <laughs> At the time, I was a casualty on the war on drugs before the first shot was fired, okay? So, my, not that it was an excuse, but having been chucked out of school, I had to do something useful for the summer. Now, doing something useful for the summer is a sort of watchword from my mother, who, for those who aren't familiar with her, runs the Al-Qaeda wing of the Mother's Union in Carlisle. And uh, my father, who is sponsored by Famous Grouse, um, tolerates her benignly, as long as she doesn't cook cabbage, which has a dreadful impact on her. And I just wanted to be out of this house in a way. And I applied for a job in the leisure industry. You'll see where I've gone. And I'm coming back to the holidays at the beginning, because I got a job working in a holiday camp. I was going to become a Pontins bluecoat. Now, has anyone here ever been to a holiday camp? Yeah. Is that you, Nanny? <laughs> um, so people have been. You know what they're like. I, I worked there. I arrived. I was 17, so I was underage. Felt like signing up for the First World War. You know, I was so keen to get out. I lied about my age. And the theme, every week they had a theme at this place. And the theme was Victorian, old-time Victorian music hall. Now, my specialist area at that time, my talent for what it was, was doing David Bowie covers. Now, 
trying to do that in a costermonger's uniform and fitting it in without looking like Dick Van Dyke on a bad day was going to be impossible. So the guy he used to do this thing, Billy from Bolton, he was a huge, wonderful, fantastic moustache, and he was like that character actor, Jimmy Edwards, if you remember who I mean by that. Anyway, he just, he looked like him, and he talked like that, and he was dead great, and he was that enthusiastic. And when I first met him, he said, uh, is there a Mr. Radcliffe on bus? And I sort of looked, and I went, oh, sort of tried to wave my hand nonchalantly. And uh, I said, uh, and it didn't answer. He said, I'm sorry, can I say again, is there a Mr. Radcliffe on bus? I said, I say, I'm here. <laughs> oh dear, he went, well, come on, off the bus. So I got off the bus. He said, right then, my name's Billy from Bolton. This is Ted, this is Sandy, that's Nick, that's little Tommy. And what do we call you, Mr. Radcliffe? And I said, uh, Radcliffe. He said, no, no, I don't think you quite guess it. Lad. He said, we're a friendly camp here, you know, we're, we're a team, like, you know, we call each other by our first names. I said, my first name is Radcliffe. And he went, oh, heck, you poor bastard. <laughs> he said, were you a difficult birth or something? Uh, he said, who the heck called you that? And I said, well, I think my parents were involved in, 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 the, in the process. Anyway, the, the real damnation of this was that he said, we can't have that. And they needed a new children's entertainer. And they called me Uncle Raddy. <laughs> Now I'm, you know, I'll play along with the next guy. And I was demoted because I lied about my ability to play the guitar and sing. I could, I could mime a guitar and sing the Bowie numbers, but not in a Victorian setting. It didn't really work. So I was put on the Donkey Derby. Now, it was the Derby run today. Did anyone bet, bet on it? Could you turn the microphone on, please? <laughs> anyway, the, 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 the great... British public on holiday, one of their great leisure activities, and you've seen it on the beach, and anyway, this was the Donkey Derby, and Stan, Stan the Donkey Man, he was, everyone was so excited, and on a Wednesday afternoon, Stan, Stan the Donkey Man would rock up with his tent and his sort of trailers, with these old pit ponies, and uh, all the little kids, you know, would be the jockeys, and parents lined up to get their little Johnny with his helmet on the back of the, the donkey. And then there were little tables like these, like tote betting. Now, I can remember my wages at that point were £21.7p a week. And that was seven days a week from seven till midnight every night. I, I know, you were thinking, I know, it's shocking. We are talking the 70s. My God. Anyway, so... <laughs> I, I, my job was I had to go around the track, because it was also the football pitch, and scoop up donkey crap, basically, with a bucket and a spade, and my little troop, and I'd get all the little boys and girls together, Uncle Raddy's going up, you know, and we'd trottle off, and I'd be just scraping shit and putting it in a bucket. Every week, somebody would go, and they would do it um, to that... Do you remember the, the goodies did a song called The Funky Gibbon? And these kids, somebody inevitably would flick shit at me, and they'd start singing in unison, do, 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 the donkey, do, do, and chucking the shit. So every Wednesday night, I basically got covered in shit. I've been doing this for two weeks. And this is where tragedy can turn on a sixpence. Because after one particularly, there was what's clearly, clearly one of the donkeys had been snacking. And um, lane one was really quite tragic. 
And I had to go in to lane one and really sort it out. And I ran the back of the lorries when I noticed something for the first time. I noticed all the donkeys there, and I noticed Stan, Stan, the donkey man, taking the number off the donkeys and moving it. I thought, why does he do that? So after the next race, I went round the back again. And after the race, sure enough, he was moving the number on the donkey. Well, it turned out that one donkey was trained to lead and all the others were trained to follow. And all he did was change the number on each race. But now, but now, <laughs> opportunity knocks. I knew the numbers. And all I had to do was get my little helper. I said, all right, go and lay everything on each table. <laughs> get as much action as you can. 40 years of this camp's been going, 40 years they'd made a profit on the Donkey Derby. Within three weeks, it was, it was losing everything. <laughs> and I only got found out, I might just say, the only reason I got found out was that a rather unfortunate incident with a noddy train, which I slipped down a bank, luckily with no children in it. Um, <laughs> but there was a child at the bottom of the bank who hurt his arm quite badly, and I had to take him to hospital on the afternoon of the Donkey Derby. And so suddenly the, the takings were restored back to their, their high levels, and I was roundly busted. And that was my first foray into the criminal world of, of uh, a betting syndicate. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. Thanks very much. Okay, so our next performer is a writer and producer who's doing lots of really interesting things, including writing about food, performing poetry, and producing plays. Uh, she's currently writing a blog called Talking About Food. Put your hands together, everybody, for Anna Sulan Massing! Um, so I was thinking about um, what leisure things I like and what I, th what I think about when I think about leisure. Um, so I wrote down a bunch of things, and a lot of them were consumering things like eating food, drinking gin, coffee, shopping. Um, and all that, that sort of led me to think about resources. Um, and so that's where I kind of got to with, with climate change. And then, so yes, so I'm going to read a couple of pieces from my um, play that I wrote called Rain. Um, um, yeah, I write a lot about migration as well, so that kind of features in a lot of these things. So the first piece is called Daydreaming, um, and I think daydreaming is very much a leisure activity. Um, and why I wrote about daydreaming is because when you, when you daydream, you think you're sort of, your mind goes across time and space. And the thing that really gets me about climate change and environmental um, topics and issues is that what happens right now here affects someone else somewhere else at another time in the future. And that's quite a hard, abstract thing to think about, which is why I think that climate change is quite a difficult topic to talk about. Um, so, and that thinking led me to think about daydreaming and, and leisure, anyway, whatever. I'm just gonna start. In the twilight, when the world felt still, Fresh after the afternoon rains, I would dream. Squatting by the river, toes at the edge, arches of my feet curved neatly on a rock, the air calm and the insects beginning to wake, and I would dream. I would dream of what I would be. I would dream of what I would do. I would dream as the hair on my arms slowly moved with the light breeze. 
my hair tucked behind my ears and slowly reaching down my back, and I would whisper to the trees, and they would whisper back. They would tell me that it would all be all right, because tomorrow the sun will rise, the cockerel will cry, and the afternoon rains will wash away the heat, and I could be whatever I wanted to be. The trees conspired with the breeze and spoke of new horizons and the comfort of home. They beckoned me forth and promised to gently set me back. I dreamed of running, of walking, of slowly dancing across roads not yet built, but built to carry me on through grasses not yet sown, but waiting to be, over rivers that bore my family since time began and would take me too. I dreamt of rhythms, of tastes, of touch of those silhouetted people whose faces I had yet to form in my knowing. And the story of the trees... The breeze, the wakening animals of the night, spoke out to me as I crouched by the riverside, listening to their stories, weaving their tales through my dreams, that, that childhood me, listening to the world and whispering back my dreams. And now, rainwater tickles my shoulder, runs rivers down my arms, and the sky is close, low, heavy with wetness, but late, Later than before, latest yet. Last year, the rain, brief but full, meant baskets of fruit. The year before, barely a drop, and now, what does late mean? Will later and later become never and never? And with a sharp intake of breath, I look down the barrel of my future and I to see my granddaughter playing, toes in the dust of what used to be my river playground, with her arms outstretched like I used to. Mama, she calls to my daughter, her mother, Look at me, I'm playing a tree. But her fingers droop, wrists limp, black hair hanging over her face. Her body echoes the place in contrast to my childhood where my hands reached for the sky in the same game of tree shapes. The sky, they scraped and her leaves barely reach her head. Her eyes peer through the fringes of her hair, tilting up at her mother, toothy grin, and my sorrow reflected in her mother's eyes as she scratches the earth for a mouthful of substance to fill that smile in her own growing belly heavy with another mouth. And my grandchild I see so clearly before me, oblivious of the morrow, and a rogue cloud sweeps the sky and weeps a drop upon her smooth young shoulder. Ouch, she says. Um, <laughs> thanks. Um, the next one doesn't have a name. Um, you can tell me if you think of one. Um, and I was sort of thinking about phones and how much I like my phone and um, how much technology kind of pulls together all these different resources that, from all over the world, like plastics and metals and things. Um, and I was also having a little think about how with when we talk about the environment or when we... It's so weird. I didn't realise there was a whole environment section, but anyway, um, that we, when we when we talk about the environment and things like that, there's a lot of um, discourse around them versus us, first world and developing world, and that kind of discourse is really um, dangerous because then we get a whole lot of Western um, saviour complex and stuff. So that's kind of in my thinking in this one. Um, maybe I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> Youth, beauty, and otherness are in the eyes of the beholder. And who's going to hold her? A child of a broken land that we helped to crack with warships and trips of, full of poppies from way back. 
And we didn't stop. Them joined us, and we all chased a dream on a silver cloud, precious metals feeding the beating heart of our connections. And who's going to hold her? Her. The future we don't know. The, the earth we don't sow, and a child that has to leave her home, displaced, misplaced, replaced, to be another, an other, a restless, rootless being. And you, we, sit in an aisle that is great, Britain with, all, with its multiplicity of narratives and beginnings and beings, an aisle, aisles in isolation, protected. But will your grandchild behold, sorry, but will your grandchild be held close, projected with an idea of safety, or will she be aisled in a river of haves, her the have-nots, othered and displaced? Displaced, misplaced, replaced, youth, beauty, otherness, and us, now the beholders. Um, this is started from drinking coffee. Um, it's called Flat White Rough Seas, Did They Think of Me? Flat white, sipping on the edge of the city, London lifts its morning head, sinking me into a, a space of home, caffeine and comfort. And I am the product of this, this space and this place and this town. I'm the product of colonialism, a child of the empire. And I am the now that before made happen, a mother of milk and honey, a father of copper and gilt money, and other in all places that have been mapped in. And when the merchant set sail on the first boats east, riding the beast of the East India Company, did they think of me? When Lord Palmerston and China backed piracy for the development of trade, did he think of me? And many men built fences, turning down the light on a dream time of children in a hot southern sun, mothers left without defences. And Queen Victoria claimed victory, proclaimed empress over those before me. Did she think of me? With my slanted eyes and my Antipodean accent holding my certificate of citizenship in all its glory and administrative mistakes, a country absent and a capital redrawn, with my feminine voice crying discontent, malcontent, what is the content of this governance, of this century, of this decade, of this day today, because it's my day. With my small feet dancing on the pavement and the elusive sun before the showers to the sound of buskers surrounded by flowers, peonies, red, hot like fire in the market as old as the empire, did they think of me? Did they imagine me? When they rode the waves, the lands, bullet in one hand, picking up the wealth of the other, did they think of me sipping my flat white? That's it. Um, <laughs> And then the other thing I thought about when I thought about leisure was, was love, because that can be, or finding love maybe, I don't know, it's a leisurable pursuit um, that can always end, that often ends in tragedy, can end in tragedy. Anyway, so that's where I'm going with the next couple of pieces. Um, this is called, She Spent Her Money on Gin. <laughs> in the cool light of a spring morning, she often wakes and forgets he's not there. She rolls over, opens her eyes to see him breathing, covers rising in his rhythm. But it's just cool sheets that meet her gaze, remembering his heartbreaking all over again. She goes out into the world, the footpaths, grey under her feet, her toes tapping a rhythm, a beat. 
that lets her go to the next junction to find the next function for her soul, for her reason for being. And she finds an adventure, moments worth passing. She says, just pin me down and treat me rough. We've got the rest of our lives for nice sex. But no boy listened. They just stroked her hair and kissed her neck. And so she spent her money from cocktail making on gin and opera intoxicating, lurking and liking round the edges of desire, drinking up the drama of a make-believe fairy tale. Um, thank you. Um, so the last short piece, um, I, I, need to, I think I need to give a bit of context. Uh, a few years ago, yeah, maybe five years ago, um, I was at work between that sort of time between um, Christmas and uh, the new year when no one's at work. Um, so me and my friends who happened to be at work decided that it would be much better time spent in the pub um, for the afternoon. So that's what we did. Um, so we went to the pub, we drank a lot. We decided, therefore, now that we're drunk, we also need to get laid. Um, but how are we going to do that? Because, you know, it's a tricky thing. It needed to happen now because we might be bored tomorrow and next week's a new year. We might not be interested in that person. La, 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 la. How do we, get, be, how do we send a message that's direct but also a little bit fun because, you know, we want it to be fun. I don't know. Um, so we spent a lot of time thinking about the three of us um, over red wine, thinking about the best way to write the perfect text to whatever boy it was. I can't remember who. Um... And we decided that poetry was clearly the best option. Um, so that's what we did. We came up with funny little things to write and then had way too much fun coming up with funny little things that we didn't end up sending the messages. Anyway, um, so this is kind of a homage to that night um, and the stuff that we wrote. A little, I can't really remember what we were coming up with. Obviously, we were very drunk. But um, yeah, that's, the, that's sort of the context of this. I've called it Love in Four Seasons. Autumn. The roses have wilted, the violets are dead. Life is so dull without giving you head. Winter, the roses are gone, the violets are hiding, picturing you naked with me on re-riding. Spring, the roses are blooming, the violets not yet. Thinking of your cock gets me quite wet. Summer, the roses are red, Roses are red, violets are blue, and I could really do with a mouthful of you. Now, roses are pretty and violets are fine, but basically life's just a lot better with friends and a shitload of wine. Thanks. Okay, so we're at the last act of the last act, and then after that, a sing-along, uh, which is always an interesting moment in the night. So yes, our next performer, put your hands together for Charlie, everybody. Thank you. Um, I'm a tour guide, right, in London, so I'd show people around London, Big Ben and all that. Um, and I was doing it today, and I often get this. I had this one man, I was doing a walking tour, and he said, is, is this what you do? <laughs> do you have a... A proper job. It's like, yeah, no, I, I do. I just, I just do tour guiding to keep it real, you know, give me a break from the modelling. Um, but no, I think that's weird, right? Proper job, like this word proper job. What does that mean, proper job? Because we were talking and he tells me he's a financial consultant. Like, is that a proper job? 
I don't know. Because I'm, I'm quite defensive about tour guiding, right? Because it's, it's a good job, right? Because you get to do a lot, of, a lot of different things with tour guiding, okay? You get to do a lot of acting, for example. So when you go down Fleet Street, you get to act like Samuel Johnson. When you go over Whitehall, you get to act like Winston Churchill. And when you go over Tower Bridge, you get to act like you don't want to jump. Yeah. Jokes, jokes as well. You get to tell a lot of jokes, tour guiding as well. I like jokes. Do you want to hear some really cheesy tour guide jokes? Yeah, you do. Okay, good. All right, so coming down Whitehall. Now, there's Big Ben on our left. Uh, does anyone know why it's called Big Ben? No. No, you don't. It's um, because of the designer who designed Elizabeth's Tower. His name is Benjamin Hall. Um, he, so they named the bell, you know, in his, in his honour. He did have a, a brother called Richard, so we're pleased that Richard didn't do the designing. <laughs> hey, that's a cock joke that works for all the family. Honestly, all the fam all cultures as well. Um, the other one is, uh, the other one is, um, oh, that's the London Eye there, ladies and gentlemen, on your right. Did you know that you could get married on the London Eye? Yeah, you can get married on the London Eye. You go up, you say your vows, and you get to the top, and you've got a vicar. You say, I do, and you kiss with the whole of London beneath you. And then it's pretty much downhill from there. <laughs> that's one for people that hate their marriages. That's a very popular one. Um, <laughs> So people love it. People love it. But, um, yeah, like, I get asked out a lot as well. I mean, I know some of you are looking at me and thinking, probably, yes. But um, that's because that's of stage aphrodisiac. Have you heard about this thing, stage aphrodisiac? So basically, if you're on stage and you're lit up like I am now, you become instantly more attractive, right? I've got my voice amplified. You're looking at me. And if I come down here, disgusting, right? <laughs> Absolutely, and it's the same with tour guiding, right? Because you're elevated to a higher status. So as you're on the bus and you're talking, you'll get asked out all the time, you know, like mainly by the drivers of the bus. Um, there's this one guy, I do, this guy, Gary. He's, he's my favourite. He's lovely. He's one of these Scottish guys. He's got um, sort of red hair, like red eyes. Um, <laughs> and sort of a tartan uh, skin. Um, and, and he's always and he doesn't just drive the bus as well he doesn't just drive the bus he also as a side thing uh, sells Viagra to the other drivers no joke it's not uncommon to arrive at Green Park in the morning and hear do you need any Willy Ardners for the weekend Kev and, and I think that's a beautiful way to start a day I think that, that's really lovely I also obviously get asked out by the, uh, by the tourists sometimes you know we go down Fleet Street this is the oldie Cheshire cheese pub ladies and gentlemen this is where Charles Dickens used to drink where William Shakespeare would have drunk it's where I drink will you be in there later depends how much you tip I might keep the uniform on. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. It's really good. I get asked out a lot. Um, I think you also get to express yourself as a tour guide because, you know, you get to talk a lot. You get to kind of talk about history and you get to talk about yourself. So coming down Whitehall, on your right is the Cenotaph. Ladies and gents, the Cenotaph, as many of you know, uh, commemorates the war dead from World War I and II. It's where the Queen lays a wreath every Remember Sunday. Some of you may also know it's where in 2003 I lost my virginity. Um, another joke there, another joke. Uh, I wasn't a virgin. Um, he did think I was a virgin though, he did think I was a virgin. That's why he wanted to do it somewhere special. Um, 
Don't judge me here, guys. Don't judge me. Because um, it's not all about history. It's about her story, too. Yep. Yeah. Um, no, it's good. You also learn a lot about other cultures. A lot, lot about other cultures. We have these um, stops, right, by Pelican Crossings. And the other day I heard this. I'm really hung over at this point. Yeah. What, what's, the, what's the beeping noise for? Oh, that, that's, um, that's for blind people. In my country, we don't encourage blind people to drive. <laughs> Other cultures, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. And lastly, I think what I've learned, thank you, uh, what I've learned a lot from this job is that people love Winston Churchill. Oh my God, they love Winston Churchill. Honestly, give a Winston Churchill quote and they will be eating out the palm of your hands. Does anyone in the room have a favorite Churchill quote? For example? <laughs> Come on, guys. Sorry? Fight them on the beach is very good. I, the one about statistics, very good. And sometimes you get someone, I've done this before, and so sometimes people go, um, oh yes, which is a very lovely uh, dated <laughs> reference to a car insurance advert. Um, but the one that always comes, oh yes, the one that always comes up though is the one um, where he's, uh, he walks into a speech by this woman, Betty. And he walks in late and drunk, and she says, you're drunk, Prime Minister. And she sa he says, yes, but you're ugly. <laughs> and tomorrow, I'll be sober. <laughs> and ugly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, this is Winston Churchill we're talking about here. Thank you. It's a bit hashtag everyday sexism. And it gets me worried. It gets me really worried about the tour guides of the future, right? In 60 years' time, there are going to be people like me on the open-top buses quoting Boris Johnson. <laughs> it's true. It's true. There's going to be people going, here is the old uh, Boris Johnson bunker. Um, and uh, any, any famous Boris quotes? Let's throw that out. Any famous favourite Boris Johnson? Say that again. <laughs> oh, th is this something he said? Yeah. I've done my research. So, go on. Yeah. Oh, I'll stand in front of the water. Yes. So this is Boris Johnson. This is the old bunker. He's famous for saying, "I'll stand in front of the water tank." Um, also, also famous for saying, "Who let the dogs out?" Um, some of you might recognise that as a as a as a 1999 hit by the Baha Men. Um, actually, you're wrong. It was Boris Johnson that said it first. It was actually on a hunt in Wiltshire, and the uh, dogs he was referring to weren't actually dogs, but two rather unattractive women. <laughs> yeah, that's the future, guys. That is the bleak tour guiding future. But um, really, really what I want to say about tour guiding is really this proper job, proper job. All this stuff that I've just spoken about is really real and I feel really passionate about it and it's all happened. And I've had a lot of different jobs, a lot of different jobs. But I think proper job, like tour guiding, all these hilarious things and kind of facts that I've learned along the way, I think it's the most proper job I've ever had. Uh, I've been Charlie Harrison. Thank you very much. Charlie Harrison, everybody who... 
she passed me a thing not to not to introduce her as a comedian. But then I was in this weird position of like, oh no, there's a secret. I hate secrets, but I, I keep secrets really well. But then and that made me pretty rubbish hosting between those two acts. So sorry about that. Um, but yeah. Uh, that, there we go. So there I'm showing a little bit of awkwardness because now's going to be a really awkward moment. I hope we can all enjoy. Uh, the thing is, you know, we, at Stand Up Tragedy, we talk about lots of sad things. Uh, and because it's a kind of, I want it to be a cathartic experience where we don't all go away very sad. Although actually, I'm feeling quite happy at this moment, but never mind. Uh, still, I'm going to do this awkward thing. So, so yeah, because I want people to feel happy, I do a sing-along at the end. And... <coughs> When we started theming the nights, uh, the, the sing-alongs got even harder to work out. Um, and it, it's, it's a, this basically, I should, I, should, I should say, as I normally do at this, this point in the night, once I, we had a review of the show that said the show was really good and, and liked all the acts, apart from at the end, uh, where uh, the host uh, was like a slightly mad RE teacher uh, leading a an assembly. So that's what this is going to be like without the stigmatizing the mentally uh, ill, who I am one of. Therefore, I am mad, but he doesn't get to say it. In fact, it was a she, but never mind. Uh, I'm only ever angry with men, you see, so I, 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 I misgendered her. So, yes. Um, so, this is going to be the tragic sing-along. I'm doing all this talking. Liz, do you reckon you could come and do the PowerPoint? Because that's, that's, that makes it even more awkward. Uh, but also, I've got a feeling I'm going to be rubbish at doing the PowerPoint. Because uh, that's for the lyrics. Because, you know, you can't have a sing-along without lyrics. I've tried a few times. It's just me singing when that happens. Uh, so hopefully it's not going to just be me singing uh, now. So yeah, it's really hard to choose the song for the end because it's surprising the big songs that people don't know. Like, no one knew Common People. No one knew, like, Heroes by David Bowie. Uh, I know. I mean, it was just me singing. Uh, maybe everybody else wanted, just wanted that tragedy to happen that way. I don't know. Um, so, yes, I've decided that for Tragic Summer, what better but a way to end with a song that everyone knows, which is uh, Summer Nights. But is it tragic, is the question. Um, I think it is, and I'm glad that you're all saying, right? I think it's very tragic, and the reason I think it's tragic, because I've been thinking about it, is uh, because this is like a song about what teens are taught about sex and gender. Like, it's like all of the rubbish information that we've got about what it is to be a man and a woman, and no other genders mentioned, of course. Um, and so, yeah, this is, this is the bad social conditioning that we love to sing. We love it, and I do too. Um, so... Yeah, and, the, and when, I, when I thought about this, I got excited. I was like, oh, I can split the audience, right? Into, into the men and women. And then I was like, fuck, that's the voice of patriarchy in my head. Why am I, why am I splitting the, the audience into men and women? There's more genders than that. But anyway, people might feel that they connect with different lines than they're supposed to be singing. So when, I, when we sing it today, I do want you to sort of like sing the songs the, the lines that you identify with, whether it's supposed to be from the men or whether it's supposed to be from the women. Um, but I would like us all to leave uh, the line, did she put up a fight fucking hanging with no support for that line uh, and leave it in the past where it belongs. Okay. So now we've got the rules. Uh, you see what they could, I mean, they got a point about the RE teacher. I'm not, I'm not denying it. So... Right, so we've got, the, we've got the rules, we know what we're doing, we're going to sing with some catharsis in our hearts, in our souls, as I find that, right, sing along, That's, that'll be the one. Right, <clears throat> okay, luckily I'm going to leave the, uh, the other people singing too, so we're not going to be completely on our own. Uh, 
will be with John Travolta, which is always a good thing to be with, I guess. Well, actually, no, he's a real, real dick, isn't he? But never mind, let's not think about that. Summer loving had me a blast. Summer loving happened so fast. I met a girl crazy for me. Bit stigmatizing. No, but cute as can be. Summer days drifting away. Oh, a summer night. Oh, well, oh, well, oh, well. Tell me more, tell me more. Did you get very far? Tell me more, tell me more. Got a crown. I saved her life. She nearly drowned. Summer sun, something's begun. Was it love at first sight? Tell me more. It's irrelevant how much. So anyone spends, right? Friendship's nice, though. Okay, all your hearts now. That's where it ends. So I told her we'd still be friends. Then we made our true love last. Wonder what she's doing now. sing-along that people know. Well done, I like that a lot. So this is the end of the show. And as I said, uh, this is the last stand-up tragedy before our Edinburgh season. Um, as well as, this, as I mentioned what the shows were, but look out for them. Me and Radcliffe are both going to Edinburgh. I don't know what the hell that's going to be, but it's happening. Um, we'll be previewing our, both of our shows at the Dog Star in Brixton on the 23rd of July. So if you want to see me telling you what it is to be me, uh, come to that. And also if you want to see Radcliffe telling you all of the stuff I said earlier on, but much more heartfelt and funny, uh, come along to that. Uh, at Edinburgh this year, as I said, we'll be doing an hour of tragedy every day, apart from Tuesdays at the Banshee Labyrinth at 7.30. We've got special collaborations. They're going to be amazing. I particularly am looking forward to interviewing Samantha Mann uh, in a, in, as part of my Getting Better Acquainted uh, podcast because I, I don't think I've ever heard uh, Samantha do a, a proper interview uh, before, so I'm looking forward to it. So, yes, follow us on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy. Friend us on Facebook. Check out the podcast. And now the tragedy is over. Stay as long as you like. We can do dancing if you want, but we can also not. Drink, be merry.
Um, now I'm going to do the sort of sadmin section, I'm afraid, uh, where I sort of talk about what we're what we're doing, what's coming up, and stuff like that, because uh, it's a podcast and you need to tell people that sort of stuff. So you can follow uh, Stand Up Tragedy uh, on Twitter. We're at Stand Up for Tragedy. Uh, you can also make friends with the tragedy on Facebook. We like it when you when you do that. But you can also like like our page if you like. Um, the podcast is available on iTunes and anywhere else pretty much where podcasts go to hang out on the internet. This podcast has been produced by me with sound production from Stephen Harvey with music at the beginning from Sam Wilkinson and playing us out with The Tragedy Is Over, George Brufton. <laughs>